Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we are going to continue on at verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 12. On May the 13th, and I don't exactly have the year, but it was the early 1700s, David Brainerd, a young man, was making his way to do ministry in uh, the area of the Pennsylvania. I often wonder at the time that um, Brainerd was doing his ministry if any of my relatives encountered him because my um, part of my uh, family history is that I had family come from Holland in the 1630s and settle in New, New Amsterdam, which was New York, and then they made their way up through Pennsylvania, where what call, were called Pennsylvania Dutch, and then ended up in Canada. But that was about the time of Brainerd, who, uh, some of you know, died at the age of 29. And uh, yet he left his journals, uh, Jonathan Edwards published his journals, and uh, those journals, his, his wrestling with God, his faithfulness amongst the American Indians in seeking to share the gospel um, was just a remar- has been a remarkable uh, motivation and instruction for many Christians ever since and who have often gone out to the nations in the same spirit of faith and expectation as David Brainerd but there was a day like kind of like today it was only it was in May you know what May can be like sometimes you hope it's summer's coming and sometimes it just kind of lingers in that mushy wet of <laughs> of winter not quite gone and it was uh, a Sunday in May that he came into a town and he was tired he had ridden all night he was soaking wet and this is what he wrote in his journal he said I rose early and I felt very poorly after my long journey after being wet and fatigued I was very melancholy so if you're melancholy today just realize there have been Great men and women of God who have come uh, to the Lord's day feeling melancholy. He says, have scarce ever seen such a gloomy morning in my life. So if you were going to pick out days in David Brainerd's ministry that were low days, this day, May 13th, was one of his lowest. Some of you may even be able to identify something of that today. There appeared to be no Sabbath. The children were all at at play. I was a stranger in the wilderness and knew not where to go. All the circumstances seemed to conspire to render my affairs dark and discouraging. So let me just read that last sentence to you, and hopefully that you hear it and have hope in the gospel because of it. But this is what he said. He said, All circumstances seemed to conspire to render my affairs dark and discouraging. You ever felt anything of that? Just seemed like everything's against you. Seemed like everything made it bleak and dark for David Brainerd. And in Hebrews, where we're reading, you you need to sense in the purpose of the pastor, I, I do believe that this is a sermon that is being preached. It was written as a sermon to be read to believers who were suffering for the sake of the gospel. And the suffering was intensifying. And so you have to imagine it's going from what? Bad to worse. And so as this writer writes to these um, Christians, he's encouraging them that Jesus is worth it all. 
and Jesus is superior to anything else they would turn for as a refuge from persecution, as a rest from their personal struggles. Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, having made uh, atonement for their sins and reigning over all, Jesus is worth it. Do you agree that Jesus is worth it all? Hard to see it some days. Isn't it true? I mean, we know it, but it's hard to get in that place. And as the writer is building his way through Hebrews chapter 12, making his way to the end, it's kind of building upward, right? It's, it's, it's a lot of comparison and fulfillment of New Test, Old Testament prophecies and history, and he's building towards in every step. This was about Jesus. This was about Jesus. This was suffered so that you would know Jesus. That's where he's building in this text. And when we get to what I'm about to read, it is almost like boom, 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 if it was read properly. It's a climactic moment in the text where he says to them, and this is really helpful even just having your testimony, Roberto, this morning. Isn't it helpful every once in a while to get a little perspective? Right? Whatever you were complaining about this morning, just see a child in Saba, right? Little, little adjustment. We need adjustments all the time, every day. Just, just take away. And this was Israel's problem, and it's our problem. They did a lot of complaining in the wilderness, right? Do we not do a lot of complaining on our way home? And so this text is to say you need a wide biblical history. And then you need to place yourself, you know when you go to the mall and you see one of those things that says you are here, right? Or you're at the state fair and you're trying to find a way out and (laughs) you're going, you are here, how do I get through the crowds to where I'm going? What the writer does in Hebrews is says, here's the history, here's the panoply, the horizon of all that God is and all that God's doing in the history of his people. You are here, aren't you glad you're not here? Just think for a little moment what mountain you're at. And he hits them with the difference between what it was like for Israel at Mount Sinai and what it's for us at Mount Zion. What it's like for them only having the shadows of the promises of the Messiah as opposed to us who have the reality. Wow. So uh, folks, let God do a little adjusting in your heart today. Uh, let me just read you a little bit of um, David Brainerd's thing, just so you know he didn't end the day depressed. But this is how the day ended. He said, I went and preached first to the Irish and then to the Indians. So those of you who are Notre Dame fans, he was not preaching to those Irish. He was preaching to actual Irish people. But he went to the Irish and then to the Indians, and in the evening I was a little comforted. My soul seemed to rest on God and take courage. Isn't that where we got to go? We got to get to God and take courage in God. Okay, I'm going to put you to the test here. Anybody memorize our verse this week from Psalm chapter 27, verse 13 to 14? Laura, your hand's up. So you gotta, do you mind standing up? Okay, could you stand up and tell us Psalm 27, 13, and 14? Isn't that great? So, so that is no light text of Scripture. 
Mary Ann knows I've been preaching it to her, even this morning. You need to read that text with some, because it's the buildup. It's, it's the end of Psalm 27, where he's in the middle of his enemies. And so you say this, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you believe that? I believe that, so wait for the Lord, right? Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So Marianne has to put up with this because I walk around the house preaching it. I was doing Martin Luther King Jr. this morning, you know. I believe, I will see, look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm putting it in my mind, but I'm looking towards the Lord and I'm echoing the reality. Hebrews 12 is telling you, you will see glory. So take hope in that glory, in that promise. Let me read the scripture and then listen to the encouragement for us today. And let's just do a little bit of thinking on this. For you have not come, so he's doing the comparison, a little perspective here. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice. You understand how you have to read that in a certain way? He's going. That's what it was like for them. It was a cacophony of sound and sensual experience of sight. The other night we had lightning. Any of you were as smart as me and I went and stood on the front step because it was so amazing and I could smell lightning. It's the first time in my life I could smell. It was that close. And it was like a bombing raid. Just ba-boom, ba-boom. Like no, no, and coming down, you could, man, this, this is really, maybe I should go back in the house. But that's what he's saying. It's going, this was, when they came to Sinai, it was not a walk in the park. It was an encounter with a holy God as a sinful people who were coming to realize how Desperately, they needed deliverance. So let me read it to you again. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers say, Stop! They begged that no further messages be spoke to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Got that? But you, well, let's look at a little perspective. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering into the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel aren't you glad you have the blood of Jesus over you speaking over you rather than the blood of Abel see that you don't refuse him who's speaking For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will they escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? See the contrast? They didn't listen to Moses who was sent to speak. You know, God spoke through him. What about 
Jesus, who is now King of kings and Lord of lords. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet one more time, I will not only shake the earth, but the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of all things that are shaken, that is, that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's the good news, folks. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us, therefore, offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and what? Awe. For God is our consuming fire. So let me just stop and say that as this text is building, it's saying something to us that if you consider Jesus and you consider your place and the plan of God and the timeline of history, if you're thinking about that, this is what should go through your mind. You should go, wow! Awe. Worship. You should fall down in amazement because we are made of the same stuff as Israel. That's the point of the Bible. We're not different. We have all the same propensities, all the same struggles, all the same discouragements. We feel brainards, kind of inward, thinking like everything is conspiring against me. The great news is when I feel like everything's conspiring against me, I have a God who is for me, in whom I dwell securely. And so this morning, you've got to get something of that. I think that's what conversion is. I think that's what it means to be a true Christian. To be a true Christian is someone who by the Holy Spirit has been radically transformed by the beauty of the glory of the gospel. That the gospel has gripped you in a way that that becomes your only and most precious hope. Right? You can say the gospel, but until you can savor the gospel. Right? Until you can say out loud that the gospel, that Jesus, that who he is, is stunning to you. If the gospel is mere boredom to you, and you haven't wrestled, you haven't been broken, you haven't seen the propensity of your own heart to sabotage your own soul, right? Are you not prone to wander, Lord, I feel it? So on Friday night in our small group, we were talking through our memory verse and we were asking the question, you know, when, when it says, I believe I will see the goodness, I, I shall look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, the conversation in our group went, does that mean ultimately we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, like in heaven when he makes all things new, or does that mean now? that I'll see something of the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living now, in the darkness, in the gray, in the opposition, in the hostility. And what this is teaching, and I believe what Psalm 27 is teaching, is that both are true. And let me just explain a little bit, and then I'll read you from Charles Spurgeon because he's better than I am. But I'll, I'll go and say this. If, if you look at the promise of God in the gospel that one day, this scene where we will be in the presence of the Lord with the angels singing... And all of the redeemed stand around the Lord. When you think about that, that doesn't happen unless something happens here. Right? Christ has done something. God is going to culminate in this glorious reality where we will see unlimited and uninterrupted, thank God for that, glory one day. One day we'll see that, but none of us will see that unless we see it here. Unless we taste it now. So let me, uh, let me read to you a little Chuck here. 
Spurgeon, and then um, let you think through what he's saying. We all know that this world is an unpromising world for faith. According to all our varied experiences, we must all subscribe to the declaration that this earth is more or less a valley of tears, right? That's not for our, that it's not for our rest, it's polluted. There are too many thorns in this nest for us to abide comfortably in. That, don't you feel something of that? Man, can it just get a little more comfortable? Aren't we prone to look for comfort in the wrong places because of it? The world is under a curse, so it brings forth thorns and thistles, and in the sweat of our brows, we eat our bread until we return to earth out of which man was first taken, till we die. Where there, where, sorry, were this world really to be our home, it would be a terrible fate for us. It'd be sad. Indeed, for us to know that we had to continually dwell where the shadow of the curse always lingers and where the only sh- that we only have the shadow of the cross to sustain us. Now listen to this. But faith comes in, faith does, come into this uncompromising field and believes that she will see the goodness of the Lord even here. It's a key line. She rushes into the fiercest fight that ever rages, fully believing that she will see the banner of the Lord's mercy and truth waving even there in that battle. She bears the burden and the heat of the earthly toil, and she expects to experience the Lord's faithful love beneath it all. That's what faith gives you the ability to see. I'm going to go to the Philippines. I'm going to make a move and take my family. I'm going to take over the directorship of this ministry. What do I think? God is going to be there. So I'm not going if he ain't there. But because we know he will make all things new. We know that he loves the nations and he loves the weakest and the least and he will do it, right? That's what he's saying. So she knows, faith does, that she will see more of her God in the land beyond the flood, but she still expects to see the goodness of the Lord even in this land of the living that's so distracted and disturbed with sorrows and cares, trials and tribulations. Do you get the point? You understand what's, what, where we're going here? The writer is writing to these persecuted Christians and saying, you've got to look at the mountain you've come to. That mountain is your strength for here. Because when you conceive of what all you possess in Jesus that should fill you with such awe and wonder and amazement that you can look the lion in the face, the cloud of darkness, you can stare at it and say, I fully expect... That God will do his work in these circumstances because I know one day he'll make it awful. There will be people from the Philippines, from Saba. There will be people from Victoria. There will be people from Cape Town, South Africa. There will be people around the throne worshiping Jesus. Because of that, he's going to do something here. Isn't that great news? Doesn't that help you fight the discouragement that comes regularly because what? We're weak. And we struggle. So let me just quickly walk you through the text and then point you to the contrast. So when we look at the Mount Sinai comparison for the perspective, what was it like for Israel? Right? It was a fearful cacophony. You go to you just go into Exodus and look at chapter 19, the people gathering around and the, the Lord reminding them, 
reminding Moses, tell them not to sneak a peek, right? Because they want to sneak in. That's, isn't, isn't our heart dangerous that way? Do you ever do stupid things that you know you shouldn't do? I mean, Israel would do things that displayed that the reason why God was saying, I am holy, don't come up here, you will die. Moses, tell them. No, no Moses, tell them again. And I'm going to blow the trumpet and flash the lightning. Why? Because even with that, even with that, our sin, our self-centeredness is so deep that we will... I mean, in the book of Numbers, as they come to the promised land, they've left Sinai, they come to the promised land. How did it go? You remember what happens? They get to the border, Joshua and Caleb and the others go in, they come back out, they, they say, they're too big, we can't handle it. And Joshua tries to plead the case that we should go forward, Joshua being Jesus, right? Joshua being a, a, a representative of Christ calling forward, and they come back and they go, no, and, and the people of Israel turn, why did you bring us out here and all of that? And then what does God do? He says, well, now you're all going to die in the wilderness, except for Caleb and Joshua. And, and so what do they do? They go, well, then let's go in. So, and Moses is going, don't go in. And they march in and they get slaughtered, and then they come back out, and, you know, they set up the priestly line with Levi and the, the Levites helping the priests. And the Levites come under Korah right after that, not too far after that. And they, they say, who made you captain of this ship? Same thing Aaron and Miriam did with Moses. They come, who, made, who put you in charge? And he goes, be careful because I didn't choose the job. Right? I didn't put myself in charge. But they rebel and then... And then, then Moses says, okay, God says, well, bring them all out. So he says, you bring out your incense, your censers. You come on out here. Everybody play the role of the priest, and we'll find out who's appointed and who's not. What happened? After it kept going, these, all these scenarios, finally, I think it's at the end of chapter 16, one of the men say to Moses this line, are we all going to perish? Wouldn't you get that conclusion? Don't you ever feel that about all of us? You watch people stumble, you watch people struggle, you watch people for a time abandon the faith, and you look back and say, man, that's where we would be without Jesus, a holy God and a, and a crazy, enslaved, sinful people. And w the question would be, would we all perish, and what would the answer be? Yes, we would perish. But here's John 3, 16. God so loved the world that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we have that mountain where we see the life without Christ, and then we have this mountain, the mountain Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly city. And so can I point out a few things out of this text? Let's just move on, uh, Sam, just a little bit. Next one. I can maybe come back to those later. Um, we need to consider deeply our incomparably glorious new covenant reality. So let me talk you through what that means. Let's go to the next one uh, from the text, Sarah Sam. 
Number one is he does this contrast. We have a far better mountain, we have a far better mediator, and we have a far better message. The message we're at is Mount, or the mountain we're at is Mount Sinai. Isn't that great that we're at Mount Sinai and we're not at, um, or we're at Mount Zion and we're not at Mount Sinai? If you listen to what he says when it changes in verse 22, you actually have come not to a place of fear, but a, fi- a place of great festivity. That's the way you're supposed to look at it. Because the language is, here are angels in festal robes. So we've been drawn into the heavenly Jerusalem. Ultimately, we will see that realized perfectly when we stand before the Lord. But we actually have come to that point. It's like, in a sense, he's asking us, peer over the edge or, or turn the bend the, on, on the mountain and look in the horizon. You ever got a good glimpse of a glorious mountain? We go down to Southern California, Yakaipa, where Marianne lived. I, I've shared this with you before. I've asked her regularly, why did you ever marry me? Maybe she's asked that regularly too, I don't know. But because but if you stand in Yakaipa, there's a place where I hike. There are beautiful wildflowers, and you, st- you can stand on, by, I, I can picture it right now. I can stand under a palm tree and look at snow-capped mountains. And she moved to Thunder Bay. Like, she moved way up to the north. That's what love does. Love is deaf, dumb, blind, and no. Um, but, you know, we, we, we come and we look at this and he says, look at the glorious mountain for which we have come in the gospel. And so what we are to see here, let me show you just quickly four things. Here are not angels gathered in judgment, but angels rejoicing in jubilation. That's the picture. The angel choirs. It's almost like when you go into Revelation and you see the angels and you see the the creatures around the throne and they're singing and they're celebrating and they're staggered and they're stunned. What are the angels singing about? Who are the angels singing to? The Lord. Worthy is the Lamb. Right? Worthy is God. Holy, holy. That's part of it. But also worthy, worthy. Because he has taken our sin and he was slain and he bore our iniquity. And this morning you need to see that. Would you gaze with me? The angels are blown away at the mercy of God on behalf of the the people made in the image of God. Angels, as he argues in Hebrews, who are far more glorious than us, are staggered, staggered that the God of the universe would send his precious son to die in the place of creatures as lowly and as rebellious as us man if we got a moment of singing in heaven aren't you looking forward to singing in heaven if you had one moment of seeing the celebratory festival festal arrangement of the angels worshiping the lamb because of the mercy and salvation of god you would you would cry and stand and fall and cry and stand and fall and do whatever it is but staggered in awe that that's the reality of the gospel under which we stand in Jesus Christ. We have not simply the angels here who are singing, but look at this line in verse 23. We have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's a rich text. Let me just make a couple comments. You know who the firstborn is? Jesus, but who's the firstborn in this text? You are, and I am. We are the assembly, the gathering of those who've been made joint heirs with Christ. 
that the privileged position of the firstborn, this is what he's saying here. Get a vision. Sinners made saints will be ruling with Jesus in heaven. And he says those whose names have been enrolled. I believe that teaches the doctrine of election. It's my conviction that what he's actually saying is that God has written your name in the book of life and you are there by his mercy not by your righteousness you are no different than Israel it is only God we do not love him first he loved us we do, he loved us we love him because he first loved us you understand that and so we're what we're supposed to do is we're saying, here are the angels singing, and here are a group of people who are unworthy. We, we say Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? Isn't that a staggering thing? I mean, you have to get something of the vista of what's happening here. God has rescued you, not because of you, but because of him. Not because you're worthy, but because he's merciful. Isn't that great? And he has not seated you on the ground in the dirt, groveling. He has seated you with his son. It's too much. Thirdly, in the text... He says here that God is judging. Now, I want to say this. I had an Owen quote and I lost it. John Owen has a good quote on this where he talks about the fact that when it says that God is judge over all, what he's saying here is not, he said it's one thing to come to God as judge when you're an unredeemed, guilty sinner. It's another thing to come as a redeemed son of God under God who's judge. Because what it means is we are now under the protective umbrella of a God who works for the righteousness and protection of his people. The best thing about heaven is that the Lord is in charge. That he is the good and the great shepherd of the sheep. Are you not glad for that? And he's saying, this is where we've come. We have come not standing vulnerable at the mountain saying, don't you dare come up. We have said, come in. We have access to the God who is our salvation. Let it stagger you. Let yourself be filled with awe and wonder. And then finally in the text where this next section he says, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Oh, can't you wait for that day? (laughs) In the Old Testament scene, it's like we're going to be perpetually sinful. And in this, we will be perpetually what? Holy. And aren't you waiting for that day where you're not prone to wander? Where God says, don't do it, and what do you do going, oh, I'll go do it. My heart says, my heart does the thing it ought not to do. The thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I ought to do, I don't do. You know, All that struggle inside, won't it be great? We says, get a vision of that, friends. Get a vision of that. Then go back to Psalm 27. Ask yourself, what was David thinking when he says, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart be encouraged. Wait for the Lord. <laughs> it's, it's like he's saying, friends, just watch. Watch for God to work. Expect him to work. It looks a mess, but Jesus is on the throne. And if he's, he's going to have a people around the throne who are experiencing this privileged position, he's going to do it here. He's going to do it in Saba. He's going to do it in Carver County. He's going to do it because Jesus is worthy of it. 
He is promised and purposed, and the purposes of God never, ever fail. So that's the better mountain. Who's the better mediator? Jesus. I'll say this really quickly. In the text, it talks about Moses saying, I am terrified. Do you know where Moses said he was terrified? Right, well, this actually happens right in Deuteronomy chapter 9 when he comes back down the mountain, and what have the people done? They've built a golden calf. He has already pleaded on their behalf, and he comes back down the mountain, and he sees them, and what does he do with the two tablets? He breaks them, and it says in Deuteronomy chapter 9, he fell on his face, fell on the ground for 40 days and 40 nights. And he said, I am terrified. What's he terrified for? His people. He's just looking and thinking, I cannot deliver these people. You hear him sometimes say to God, why did you give me this job? Right? He, why, God? Why? I can't save these people. He comes down and he is scared, frightened terrified by the holiness of God and the rebellion of his people so much though he's flat out before the Lord that was Moses is Jesus flat out frightened for his people in glory no we have a better mediator of a new covenant because he has won the victory for sinners like you and I that's the great news of the gospel he's finished the work and so, I'll just jump down. What's the message? What's the mediator? We've got a better mediator, Jesus, who has died in our place and did for us what Moses could never do to deliver us from our guilt and stain and sin. And so, he says, we have the blood of Christ whose, what, word is a better word than the blood of Abel. What was Abel's message? The blood of Abel. God said to Cain, who murdered his brother, your brother's blood does what? Cries out from the ground, seeking righteousness, right? Justice! Give me justice! It's a foolish world we live in. You, know, you ever watch the news stories where people hide bodies, right? I mean, it's not just the detective shows where they got DNA and they figured out, there's a God! We hide our sin. We say things in secret. He knows it all. He sees it all. It's absolute insanity. And God will deal justly with the people. But here's what it says. So Abel cries out, sorry. No, Esau, not Esau. No, it is Abel. Abel's blood cries out for justice. What's Jesus' blood cry out? Justified. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God. Right? It's Christ who suffered and died. It's God who justifies. Right? If God is for me, who can be against me? Isn't that what the gospel announces over your life today? Me, struggling sinner, who would do what I shouldn't do? Here's the great news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, our sins are washed away. It is finished. It is final. We are free. Does that not amaze you? It should amaze you. 
on rainy, cloudy, discouraging days when you have trouble with yourself and you have trouble with your family and you have trouble with your ministry and you have trouble, trouble, trouble. You come back and get your eyes on glory and say these words. Say it clearly, right? I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Just wait for him. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart be encouraged. Wait for the Lord. How do you get your heart encouraged? Read this text of Scripture. The angels are already singing of our salvation deliverance. <laughs> the people of God have been brought in by his choosing. And their names are written and they're reigning at the right hand of the Father. This is his plan and his purpose. Isn't that glorious news? I mean, we will walk around and go, Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Can we be honest today? There's not a single person in this room who wouldn't shipwreck their lives if left to themselves. But isn't it great news that he is mighty to save? And when, when we leave this building today, when we go home, work, school, community, when we go out of this place today, what are we doing? We are announcing that we have a God who came after us, a God who provided for us, a God who delivers for us. And so I, I just want to tell you, I, I don't even use some of the illustrations I want to use in my sermon because I see God working in places that have been longing for him to work for a long time. I've had conversations this week with people I've been praying for for a long time. And you won't go, you won't linger, you won't hang in there if you think it's based on human ability. My dear friends, if this is on your shoulders, if this is on their shoulders, this is on our shoulders, but he has taken it on his shoulders. So that's what you got to do right now. Right now you have to do this. You have to let your heart be filled with awe at what he has done and because he said he will do it, he will do it. Believe him now. Now, the text has a lot more to say, but I'm going to tell you three things. Number one, some of you need to listen to him today. How shall we escape if we do not? That's what he says here. Don't miss the mercy of God today. Right? He sent his son, not Moses. He sent his son. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. Don't miss it. Christians, don't minimize it. So I'm going to show you that one verse at the end, verse 29 32. Therefore, let us be what? 
grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Do not minimize this. My dear friends, we've got a kingdom that will last forever. It's his kingdom, but we are joint heirs in that kingdom, and it's a certain kingdom. So let's give thanks, and let's offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. God, you can have my life as a living sacrifice to you because you own my life, bought my life, secured my life. Money can't do it. Doctors can't do it. Illicit relationships cannot satisfy and secure me. Nothing can save me from me except you by the Spirit in the grace of the gospel delivering me from me. Here's my life. For our God is a consuming fire. It's not that God's different. He's still holy. But He will either consume our sin in his wrath through his son or he will consume our sin in his wrath on our souls for eternity he's not a different god he's a holy god but thank god thank god that he is willing to take all sin and destroy it and satan and death and the curse, and consume it once and for all, and cast it away. Oh, are you not looking forward to that day? What a glorious day. Let's pray together. So, Father, we often, on Sundays, reach far above our heads. We contemplate things that are too deep for words. Our words fall short of your words. But I thank you, dear God, that we can look up to the mountain and know where our help comes from. I thank you, dear God, that we can confess our sins and our struggles and our weakness and know that you are mighty to save. I thank you, dear God, that you're able to forgive rebellious sinners who would sabotage their own souls. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you, dear God, that we can look into real difficult circumstances, family situations or friendships or work or relationships where we think, how can anything ever good happen? And then we hear the prophet say, the Lord say to this, the prophet Ezekiel, son of man, can these dry bones live? Oh, yes. You give the word, let there be light. Lazarus, come forth. So God, give light and give life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's pray together. Let's just commit ourselves to the grace of God as we go. So Father, we leave this place to bring the hope of the gospel. We need the hope of the gospel. We live off the grace of our reigning Savior every day. So keep us close, dear God. Do all that you've said you would do. But I pray, dear God, that you would bring our neighbors and the nations to Jesus. We long, dear God, to hear the angels sing. We long, dear God, to see the peoples rejoicing. We long, dear God, to enter into that inheritance which is ours because of Jesus. So bless each one as they go. Help us not to minimize it. Help us not to miss it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day today in the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about Waterbrook Christian Church located in Victoria, Minnesota, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed day.